question. Here's the question. I want you to think in terms of when you were younger, you were with your mom, you were with your dad, you were with your grandmother, grandpa, maybe another relative. What were you taught as a skill or something to exercise when you were young that if you hadn't been taught by them, you would not be able to do it today? In other words, what skill, what thing was trained into your life from a parent or a relative? They showed you how, they walked you through it, they encouraged you on it, they championed you for it, maybe they went and got you lessons for it. What is it that you do today or can do because somebody gave you the impetus and the encouragement to do it when you were younger? This is a shout-out kind of thing. So Use the computer. Use the computer. Now, that wasn't when you were real young, no, Diane. They, yeah. No, yeah. Oh, okay. The younger ones taught you. There you go. All right. So learn how to use a computer. What else did you learn? Swim. swim. Who taught you to swim? My dad. Your dad taught you to swim. And he was there with you in the pool when you were going under, and, and he kept you up, right? Okay, Greg. What else did you learn? Fish. Yes, and Tom knows how to fish. He does the big fishing out on the ocean type of thing, right? All right, fishing. What else? Speak. Speaking to people. In front, there you go. That's great, Bob. What else? Golfing. You betcha, golfing. Take it. That takes a while to learn because you can really mess up golf. Yeah, all the way in the back. Sewing. Rosanna, sewing. Does your mom teach you that? Yeah. Do you still sew today? Not too much today. There you go. What else, Johnny? What? Singing. All right. Your training was singing. Frank. Cooking. Cooking. Is that where, who taught you to cook? Because you cook really good stuff. Actually, not too young, but a neighbor. A neighbor taught you that. All right. Anybody else? Just one more. All right, a couple more here. Teresa. To keep your word, you just thought I have integrity, right? Yeah, Jason. Marksman, like shooting a gun. All right. All right, now listen. This whole subject that we've been talking about for five weeks is the subject of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you think you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you've not been taught well by somebody else? You can try. You are always in the need of somebody to do the visual before you of training, encouraging you. This is how you live. Always keep your word kind of idea. You watched people most likely in your life who were a follower of God And you have modeled your life in part because of them. A characteristic. Maybe you will say, well, I I grew up and I didn't have anybody that was following God in my family. But there was somebody that you got a flavor of. You came around and you began to observe. This whole concept of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is relational. We've talked that circles are better than rows because rows don't know. You need to be involved in people's lives. So also, you know, the whole I concept of being relational as it relates to just growing spiritually is in contact with one another. If you remember when we started out the series a few weeks ago, I, I had teams come up here, right? We sort of did the make-believe, the pretend that we were going to have two teams. And we had two teams of six each. And we put the backpack on. We're going to go uh, on a mountain climb. And we're going to go on a pathway, a journey. And who would you pick to be on your team? 
Jesus knew from the beginning that if you're going to be a disciple of his, that you have to be mentored. You have to be trained. You have to have examples set before you. Because the best way probably to describe what it means to be in a disciple-making, discipleship, becoming a disciple of Jesus kind of program, if you will, is it's an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship. So when you were taught how to fish, when you're taught how to swim, when you're taught how to sew, how to, to shoot a rifle, to, uh, you know, use a computer, there was an apprenticeship that went on. And if you want to grow spiritually, you have to choose to enter an apprenticeship. And the apprenticeship you're entering into is an apprenticeship with the person of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit who was given to you and I. But I know a lot of people who like to believe in Jesus, but they're not really too hip about being an apprentice of Jesus. A lot of people, they enter into a Christian faith because they have a need. But the reality is the need can only sort of take you so far if you're going to hang with Jesus. Because Jesus is interested in an apprenticeship that's going to change and transform your life to be like his life. And if you don't want to be like Jesus, then don't go into apprenticeship. Don't choose to go on the journey of being a disciple because that's what it's all about, that we would be his very presence here on earth. You know, when Jesus left the earth after he was ascended to the heavens, his disciples started to get a little freaked out. But they remembered the words of Jesus when Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, I'm going to be able to send. If I don't go away, I'm not sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus sent his spirit. And his spirit is not only the spirit that dwells in you. If you've chosen to be a follower of Jesus, it's the spirit that dwells in others around you on your team as we are on this journey of becoming like Christ. And I've seen many people. They check out the Christian faith. They even accept Jesus, make a decision. But somewhere inside of them, they're not really committed to seeing themselves become a full-out follower that we sang about of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus. And my simple encouragement in these weeks is that there's a gut check in each of our lives. Is your identity one of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? And do you like that identity? Do you share that identity? Do you talk to others about your life? And is that part of who you are? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're one of those weird people. You're really serious about Jesus? No, I'm not weird. But I'm an apprenticeship. I'm becoming like Christ. I'm desiring to serve him and his purposes. I am his disciple. And it's my goal, my desire, my plea, if you will. For everyone in this room to seriously consider, if you have not already, to letting go of whatever agenda you think is important for your life, separate and from God, and choose to take up the cause to be a disciple. But you have to choose to go on the journey. The journey is not a journey uh, that is an easy journey. It's a pathway. And we as a body of people here at the Awakening Church, uh, I'm just like, well... What are we going to do? 
We just come and sing songs and listen to messages and go our way? Or are we going to engage and do what God called the church to do, any evangelical church that's hard and passionate about knowing God, to say we are going to make disciples? You see, so many times churches, historically, and I have been conditioned this way too, we end up sort of uh, gauging our success as a church on things that maybe aren't all that important in God's eyes. Things like, how many great programs do you have? How many people do you have attend on a Sunday morning? You know, how, 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 how big is your budget? You know, what kind of facilities are you in? And if Jesus was to walk through in his physical presence this morning and stand before us, he really wouldn't have any of those things on his mind. He would just want to know if you're willing to follow him all out, if you're willing to be a disciple because that's what churches are to be doing, is making disciples of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, our world is in desperate need of more disciples of Jesus Christ. We talked about this pathway and that there's different steps along the pathway. And just to do a little bit of a, a quick overview, we just said the first aspect that we need to really consider is that we are called by Jesus and we are called to Jesus that Jesus is not calling you into a religion or into a program or into a, even a church membership, if you will. He's calling you to himself to come with him on this journey. And it's the most intimate thing that you can possibly discover. The God of the universe that created you wants to be with you every day of your life, teaching you, instructing you. And in an apprenticeship with him, we are. And we are learning to be like him. And you and I are each being picked. No one is not being looked over. And there is no one who walked in here this morning that God says, oh, nope, not him. No, he's picking you. He's saying, I want to call you to myself. And there's a point of redemption that begins where you turn your life over to him. Whether it's confessing of, of sins that are big and broad or just indifference and neglect, you come to a place of repentance and redemption where he changes your heart and your identity becomes that of a follower of Jesus. And then you grow in intimacy with him. First up, out of this book is a lot of truth. And in this truth, and the truth that's in this book, the teachings of Jesus, teachings of God throughout Scripture, we are called not only by Jesus and to Jesus, we are called to obedience. We're called obedient. It's not optional. I think I'm in. I just sort of need to get into the heaven deal. And then I'm going to go live my own life. No, Jesus is calling us to obedience, not to kill and ruin your life, but to give you a life. Because he knows how the human being was wired to live in fullness. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, he said. Jesus calls you to know truth. To live out that truth by faith. And worship him. All an act of obedience. So you're called by Jesus, you're called to Jesus, you're called to obedience, and then we said you're called to community. This is not a solo operation. Rugged individualism is what marks American culture so much, right? I did it my way, I'm going to do things on my own, I got this, don't, don't worry about it. He did not call them just a single individual. He didn't say to Peter, hey Peter, come follow me, all of the rest of you, uh, I'll get to you sometime. Now Peter, come with me and I'm just going to teach you one-on-one -on -one here for three years. No, he immediately called them into a community. And that's why we encourage life groups or gospel groups like with the students that we are in relationship and you are called to community. And in that community to experience God's love, to be able to extend grace and to bring encouragement. Think of the hunger our world has 
to have a community of richness, of love, grace, and encouragement. Now, we'd like for all of our life groups to be ideal, but guess what? They're not, just like this church is not ideal. Because when you bring people together in community, what do you have? You have people. And when you have people, what do you have? You have sin. You have brokenness. And we will have challenge in community, but it's in the community. It's sort of like an incubator, right? How How do we create what God's vision was for all of eternity? Can you comprehend what eternity is like when we're all together as followers of Jesus and there is no sin left in the world that's been dealt with? Satan's been dealt with. And we live for eternity together in the richness of godly community. That's going to be a cool place. As I often say, I'm looking forward to heaven because there's not going to be any locks on any doors. Why do we have locks? Because of sin, right? What else do we have of Because of sin. The community God has envisioned for us to have, he wants us to have a slice of it here on earth. And we walk it out. If you're called to be a disciple, if you're going into apprenticeship, you're going into a community of people. If you're not in a community of people where you're sharing life on life, and whether it's a life group, a a Bible study, or a gospel group, or a rooted group, or just a network of people maybe in your workplace that you sort of share life with spiritually, then you are not in an apprenticeship. You are not a disciple unless you're in a relational community. All right? Now, that may be a word that you don't agree with because you say, I'm following Jesus and I'm good. But it was never the intention of Jesus for it to be solo operator. This next step is freedom. Freedom has to do with healing. God didn't come to uh, make the captives more uh, uh, captive. He didn't come to ruin our broken lies by causing us to have a bunch more uh, strongholds and, and rules around us. He came to liberate us and free us. And in that freedom for each and every individual who's a disciple of Jesus, there's a place of healing, sometimes deliverance and empowerment. He didn't bring his disciples along the path and sort of not equip them with fullness of life. We never parked on this step freedom. But we are going to park on it for a whole month. Next week, we begin a series that is not being done for the sake of it being novel, but because it is needed. I find in my own life, the lives of the community I serve with, even in my own life group, and also the body church, And the people that are beyond us that we're trying to reach and encourage for Christ, there is a lot of bondage. We're broken in some many different kinds of ways. Past issues that continue to raise their ugly head. People living in wishful thinking that they could go back and rewrite their whole life. People that can't seem to move out in a place of strength because, uh, simply put, they, they just don't seem to have the power to change. We're going to be doing a whole month on the subject of spiritual warfare. This is one part of finding freedom. The subject of freedom as it relates to healing, deliverance, and empowerment is one step along the apprenticeship pathway of becoming a disciple. You cannot read through the Gospels of Jesus dealing with people without him being mindful 
that they are under bondage and they need to be freed. In fact, that's where he stood up and he says, I am the one who have you know, come to liberate those who are in prison and set the captives free and to give peace to the weary and the broken. He is about transformation when it comes to disciple making. This term spiritual warfare is a scary term for a lot of us, and we're going to be looking at it next week as we launch out. And what I believe happens with us in the area of spiritual warfare is because a lack of knowledge and a full understanding, it causes us to step back and have fear. But I want us to identify readily the enemy and what's happening with the enemy in today's day and in your life. Jesus, when he started out in his ministry, and we're going to encourage people today to be on mission and do the work of Jesus. What was the first thing that happened to him? He was confronted by Satan. He went to the desert 40 days. He was tempted in all such ways as we were, but even more. And he had an adversary who was trying to take him down. And we're going to talk about that adversary. We're going to talk about the unseen world. So spiritual warfare, encountering the unseen, engaging then with authority, and enjoying the freedom that's gained through Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Again, let me say, we are not doing these weeks in October, because it is a novel, intriguing, fascinating kind of subject. I feel led to lead us into this study because it's very, very much needed. And the reason there's fear a lot of times about the unseen world is we don't talk about it in a balanced and wholesome manner in environments like this. Okay. We're also, I just want to give you a heads up. We walk through the next five Sundays on spiritual warfare. At the end, we're going to have a spiritual warfare training weekend. Some of you will like to jump in on this. And we're going to talk about a little bit more nuts and bolts, how you minister and deal with people and interact in the area of spiritual warfare and setting people free. It's going to be a Friday night. Go home, come back Saturday morning, and we're going to give some more tangible ways that we as a body of people can be effective I was woken up in the middle of the night again last night. Sometimes this happens to me, and I'm like, Lord, why is is it going on? And I just said to myself, okay, what can I do as I'm trying to fall asleep? I don't like to count sheep. That doesn't work for me. But you know what does help me go to sleep? Praying. And if I go to sleep while I'm praying, Jesus don't mind. He doesn't. He says, there, you did two things. You were effective in praying for people, and then you fell asleep at the same time. So two good things came out of that. (laughs) And I began going through my mind people that I needed to be praying for that maybe I hadn't been praying for as of late. And people that I know are struggling and people that need hope. And I just began to pray spiritual warfare over those people. And we're going to be talking about that a lot in the next month. But I just want you to know that that aspect of one step along the pathway discipleship, just one step, is freedom. And we need to talk forthrightly about it. Jesus, you find him teaching and doing apprenticeship all over the place with the disciples. Even the passage we looked at today, we'll look at that. 
The next was service, simplicity, generosity, and suffering. Looked at that briefly last week, all those things involved. It's not easy for us to think about God called them to a simple lifestyle so they could be free to serve him, to be generous out of their life, to give to one another and to give to his purposes, and for us to realize that when we're on this path of discipleship, apprentice training, there will be suffering. And he was pretty much up front with them about that. I just want to briefly hide how I hear today this aspect of mission. And I put that at the end, not because you wait until the end of your apprenticeship to being a disciple to actually be on mission. It's actually a part of your whole life, beginning with the moment you say yes to Jesus. But we are called to mission, God's mission. It's not our mission. You may think you have a mission in life. That's great. Go the direction you want, excel in whatever God you feel God's calling you to excel in. But ultimately, the mission that we're a part of is the mission of God. God is a God of mission, and we are into what he's doing as a disciple. That mission has to do with witness. It has to do with bringing hope to the broken, and it has to do with the multiplication of many disciples around the world until Jesus comes. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke 10, whether in your scriptures or on a phone. In Luke 10, there's a passage that Jesus is described in uh, that's going to give us some teeth to this call to mission. And in Matthew, in Luke 10, uh, I'm going to read the section before the section we're going to look at. And this just identifies with what Jesus is doing in Luke 10. I'm sorry, Luke 9, I'm going to read before the 10. Luke 9, verse 57 As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Did you sing that this morning? Did you mean it? Do you have any idea what it means? I don't know if I do sometimes. Jesus looked at this person and said, I don't know if you know what it means. But they said, I will follow you no matter where you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But I, the son of man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. He said to another person, come, be my disciple. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. That sounds reasonable enough. Jesus replied, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and to preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Another one said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Sounds reasonable enough. But Jesus, he he was not light. He was sort of tough. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. If you are in an apprenticeship, if you are a disciple that's seeking to become a greater disciple for Jesus, you need to know this. Jesus is going to speak into your life, and he may speak into your life here this morning, and he's going to tough love you and say some hard words. Oh, I need, I got a funeral to go to. Sorry, let the dead bury their dead. Now, was Jesus being callous? He has compassion. He was checking out people's double-mindedness. Oh, I've got family. Well, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, what good are you? He penetrates our very soul and he says, are you serious about following me? Have you come to a place where you've died to self and your agenda and you're now going to take up my agenda, which is spreading the kingdom of God, the good news and the hope to a world? Are you really at that place that you're going to follow me no matter what? So he was always pushing those buttons and people 
took steps back like we looked at in the last few weeks. And now some of them said, no, thank you. And they went their own way. So following this, we have that in Luke, Luke chapter 10. Now, in this, we see that Jesus begins to push them out on mission immediately. He had the 12. He'd sent out the 12. But here we have a larger group of people, the 72, or in some translations, it's the 70. It can go either way with some historical things there in manuscripts. But the 72, and we don't know who the 72 are. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. Uh, about, about this size of the room over here. Sorry, folks, over here. You're like right here. Okay? Somewhere around it. He said, okay, now this is what we're going to do. The 72 of you, I'm going to send you out. And I'm not going to send you out with an education on theology. I'm not going to send you out with years of experience of being in this apprenticeship. I'm sending you out now. I'm putting you on a mission. Jesus was about to go into several towns and villages around the way, and he wanted them to go in the, as the forerunners, right? He, he sent them out ahead as the forerunners of him coming to the presence. We sang about that in the first song. That, you know, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what they were doing, just like John the Baptist did. But they were amateurs. They were rookies. Some of you here, you feel like you need to have more learning, more small group time, more years in the Bible before you can be sent out. That's not the way Jesus operates. He sends you out now immediately. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples, it says in Luke 10, and sent them ahead in pairs to all towns and places he visited, uh, he planned to visit. So 70 stand up. I want to have you stand up, 72 stand up. We're going to pair you off in twos. That's sort of nice because it's a little scary when you go by yourself. And he says, this is where you're going to go. Some of you are going to go to Hemet. Some of you are going to go to uh, Fallbrook. Some of you are going to go down to Escondido. Some of you are going to go up to Corona. Some of you are going to Wildemar. All right, yeah, a lot of us live here, Marietta and Temecula. So we got that sort of all covered around there. And uh, now there's some other places, Paris. We're going to send you on and to Canyon Lake. Think about the strategy in Jesus' mind. He's like, I'm going to take you, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to send you out. Now go, get going, get going. Verse 2, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. In part because I knew this talk was coming up today. That was part of my prayer the other night. Because I don't pray that prayer very often. You would think a pastor would. Jesus, in the awakening body, will you raise up more laborers to send out into the fields? What are you talking about, Carrie? You're talking about preachers. You're talking about people doing vocational ministry. You talk about missionaries going overseas, whatever it is. I'm all of it. Including those of you who don't have vocational ministry opportunities. But you have a vocation in which you minister. I want to send you out. I want to pray. Oh, God. And look at our needy world every week on the news, right? We need more laborers in the harvest because Jesus sees the harvest filled. Those of you who know me know I grew up on, on grain farms. And when the harvest is ripe, like it's starting to get ripe in the Midwest right now, you don't lollygag around. That's sort of a, I don't know, southern Midwestern term. You get at it. 
And you work endless hours because when the harvest is ripe, the laborers are in the fields and let's bring in the harvest. Jesus saw the towns around him. He saw the world around him and he knew that it wasn't going to be reached by some type of special Internet influence or video that was Skyped. He was sending people. His disciples, and he was praying, would they please wake up and get at it and send them out? Here's my question to you as it came to me in my prayer time of the night. Have you ever been burdened to pray that the Lord would raise up more laborers? Is that something you pray about? And let me make it real close to home for those of us who are parents. Do we pray that our children would be a part of that task force of laborers? Or do we hesitate to think, oh, I don't know if I'd really want my kid to really go to a third world or go to a Muslim world or go to some place that's far away, even if it's like a 100 miles? Because you really like them around? Have you prayed that God would take your children and your grandchildren and send them out as laborers? We have here today in this room the opportunity to pray for laborers. Some of you may say, I'm too old. I got my career going now. I got other things. You should have talked to those kids before they left to go over to their youth group. Yes, we need to talk to kids. But I tell you what, a lot of our kids don't go to the regions unknown because we as parents and grandparents don't challenge and encourage them to go. Hmm? There's a breaking of the heart for all of us that we would release and we would send and we would encourage laborers for the harvest field no matter what. Jesus said the harvest is great The workers are few. Pray for more workers to be sent out. Just a little bit of a sidebar there, but it was in Scripture. Take it for what it's worth. It's been convicting in my own life recently. Then Jesus gave them some instructions. Verse 3, now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. I'm just going to highlight ten things as we walk through a few verses here. The first is the word go. Now go. He didn't say, now sit, now wait, now get more equipped. Go. Because when you go, you learn as you go. You could not have learned to do sewing, swimming, shooting a rifle, you name it, unless you actually got in the water, picked up some cloth and put it to a machine, Or picked up a rifle and did some target practice. You have to participate in that which you're doing in order to grow in doing it. Jesus knew this as the grand master discipler. So he said, now go. Go and as you participate with what I'm calling you to do, you're going to grow spiritually. You're going to become equipped. Are you going to fail? You betcha. You will be a failure a lot. But in that process of serving his kingdom's purposes, you will learn and you will grow. So he said, now go. And then he says, now remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. That's a great word to have right up front. He says, be wary. As lambs among wolves. That's not a good visual picture to me. How about you? 
I think in terms of I live over by the hills a little bit and I hear the coyotes at night and they start yakking. You like the coyotes? I like the coyotes. Now, some of them around here are pretty scrawny kind of thing, but they they are yapping and they are alive and they're talking to one another. And I think, oh, what if they come and get my dog? That's what I think. And I've seen that happen. And my dog chases them. (laughs) I'm right, dog. That's a good idea. No. What if it was a sheep? You think they'd last long, maybe? No. He's saying, I know the world you're going out to. Don't you sit there. Don't you push back on me, Jesus says, and says, it's a bad world out there. They don't like us. They're pushed back. They think I'm going to be weird. Jesus, I know that. But they're lost. They're broken and they need hope. They need the kingdom of God to come near them. He says, I am going to send you out like sheep among wolves. And some of you are saying, now, how does this really relate to my life? Well, all you have to do is think in terms of the context of your everyday world. Your office complex, the people you interact with and your position of influence. Your uh, social group you hang with, right? They could all be like wolves and not want you to stick up for Christ. And I'm not saying look big, bad, ugly with a big billboard that says I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a disciple. No, you're loving and caring for them. But there's going to be a moment when it comes around and you start articulating who you are. And there's going to be opposition. Jesus says, I know that. Be wise. Be wise into it. I am actually the one who is sending you out as a lamb among wolves. Then it says this. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. He's saying live by faith. Live by faith. Now, I know this is a unique group of people, this 72 that he chose, and it's not necessarily, okay, is that where it's at for everyday life or whatever? But these principles apply to how we live everyday life if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to be a witness, if we're going to bring hope, if we're going to see multiplication of disciples. You need to understand that these elements in this example of him sending out the 72 are true of part of your life. You need to go, you need to be active in sharing your faith, influencing others, bring the ministry of Christ and encouragement to other people, serving the needs of the poor, whatever it may be. You need to go do this. As you go, be wary. There's going to be like sort of sheep amongst the wolves deal. And when you go, don't take a bunch of money with your traveler's bags or extra pair of sandals. In other words, don't sit back and go, you know, when I have enough, when I'm secure, when my family's secure, then we'll start participating in this uh, going kingdom activity. Jesus says, you need to live by an element of faith. I'm going to take care of you. I don't know a missionary to this day who's not left to go to the regions beyond some unknown places without having a huge need to live by faith. But we don't like that. We're taught to have security at every turn, to make sure your 401k is big enough and make sure that other trajectories are too up and to the right in your life. But Jesus says, you need to, to just go. And live by faith in some of these elements. And then he says, don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Don't stop. Well, that sort of seems, aren't we supposed to go and to greet people? No, he says, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by things that are around you that are going to lead you away from the mission of being on witness to be that person that's being sent out by me to one of these towns and villages. If you're supposed to be going to three villages and towns away, then don't stop and get caught up in chit-chat in the first one. I've divided you up strategically by pairs. I'm sending you out. We need workers in the labor fields, and we need you to be there in that town. So don't be wasting your time 
circling around a place I already got covered. Ooh, that's a hard one for me sometimes. Because, well, there's needs all around us. But sometimes God burns you with a heart. This is where you're to go with your life. And this is what I want you to do. In part, my family is in Southern California because my son, who we prayed would be sent out by God, was at a camp meeting of youth and other youth meetings where he felt God burdened him to be a vibrant witness in the Hollywood community. Not to make cheesy films, Christian films, but to be a part of the infrastructure of godly influence. And my son works there every week on the 35th floor of the NBC Universal building by Universal City Walk, in part because he sees that as his mission field. And he stayed focused to leave and come. He never knew his parents would follow him, and I still say it. We did not follow you, Ryan. We just ended up here by God's leading, okay? But he stayed focused. He knew he had a world that God wanted to call him to, right? Stay focused, Jesus says. Don't stop and greet anyone along the road. Then it goes on, and he says this in verse 5. Whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. That's great. So when you get there, extend the blessing. When you show up at work, and that's your mission field, extend the blessing. When you teach in that classroom, extend the blessing. Because God's working there. And you need him to bless where you're working. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. The rest of this in this two verses here, the first thing is to say be content. Be content. Don't get anxious. Some people up and root themselves and move on. I can't believe the number of pastors, I'll even I'll put it in my own category, the number of pastors who roll through churches because they're not content and they don't know how to stay, put roots down, and minister long-term and build strength over the years. Now, God does move pastors without question, but be content. Are you content in where God has placed you and what you're doing? You see, when you go into the place and you find a blessing, it's encouragement to know that when you go and find that blessing, you're going to look for what's called the man of peace, the person of peace, someone who gives peace back. And you begin working with that person, begin building the relationship with that person, you begin encouraging that person to consider the claims of Christ. And you do so out of the lifestyle in which you live. And then you stay content in that moment. You continue even through ups and downs with being a missionary to that marketplace, to that person, that you stay content and you don't move and become scattered in what you're doing. Steadfastness. Then it says accept hospitality. Those who work deserve their pay. They receive your due. Called to mission. Sometimes you go by faith. Sometimes there's hospitality extended. Sometimes not. You're a lamb amongst the wolves. Sometimes you receive great hospitality. Receive richly. It's a gift given to you. Sometimes in vocational ministry, you actually get compensation for that. Workers' worth is due. Verse 8, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Be flexible. One of the reasons I don't like going to third world countries is because I don't like eating what's set before me. 
I've been there. But if I don't eat it, it's offensive. So guess who takes it? You do. Be flexible. Because if you're going into different cultures, different environments, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's across the seas, there's going to be changes that are different for you. Oh, I don't do that. And I'm not saying you have to eat really bad food or get sick. That's not what this is saying. This is saying be flexible as you go and have an understanding. Heal the sick. I'll be talking about this more to bring hope. There was a brokenness. There was a brokenness amongst the people. And you need to demonstrate the love of God and the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then it says proclaim. Tell them the kingdom of God is near. That's the good news. That's the words. You ever try to give somebody instructions without telling them which way to turn? Just go and you'll find it. No, you give them instructions. Turn left, turn right. When you get to the bottom of the hill, you know, there's another second road. Then it'll be fourth house on the right. You have to articulate clearly. So you may heal the sick. You may bring hospitality. You may bring wrestling upon a place to an individual's life. But there comes a time when you need to be the witness. You need to be the witness. So those are ten. Instructions. There's many, many more. Jesus will instruct you. The question is, are you willing to go? The two key verses that you would find that finish this out. Then they said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. He knew what was going to be happening to them. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. They had joy because they saw the power of God work in their midst to change lives. And they woke up to the reality that this apprenticeship was about the real deal. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among the snakes and the scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. In other words, stay humble. Don't be arrogant as your own mission. It's the Lord that's working to change people's lives. We're going to watch a video before the band comes up. And this video is about one of the individuals seated in a room such as this that caught a vision to go and to do something overseas. Not to become a full-time vocational missionary, but to rally some other people and make an influence in a certain part of the world. He was willing to do what Matthew 28 says. When Jesus told his disciples at the end, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make converts. No, go and make disciples called and committed disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching the disciples to obey all the commands, not just the ones that we like. All the commands I've given you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. It says this in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. My witnesses. Sometimes being a witness is just about unconsciously giving off the aura and the love of God to other people. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not the word than. 
It's all at the same time. And this veterinarian doctor, he took that to heart. He took it to heart, as it says in 1 Peter 2.9, that he was part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, a peculiar people, it says in the King James, that he may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Watch this alliance, uh, this alliance bivocational kind of missionary, and may this story get your mind thinking, what could I do to be on mission, to be a witness, to bring hope, and to see the multiplication of disciples? When I take a realistic view of my own life, I'm grotesquely wealthy, and I know it. And I only know it mostly because I've seen grotesque poverty. 